Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 53-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Stampede Radio. We have uh, little clips in, in our intro there of great plays in Colorado history. And I was all ready for a Jordan Gerke to Shea Fields intro there, but of course that's not how it ended. Adam Munster Tiger here from BuffStampede.com with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin, a man that uh, speaks softly and he doesn't need to carry a big stick because he's just bigger than everybody else. Also here with BSN Denver's Ryan Konigsberg. Ryan, what, what can we say about you? <laughs> it's your job. It's, it's, that was quite the intro. Well, I, I, I like I, that. I, I do know that Ryan is better at catching errant punts and kicks in practice than he has t-shirts at the Coors Event Center. Dude, <laughs> why you got to bring that up? <laughs> oh, you dropped one? Yeah, well, there's, a, there's an errant throw from a cheerleader that was just lobbing up. And then uh, just the way, you know, the... the, the the floor is in the light, and then we're in the dark, and there was this, it was dark shirt, and I kind of lost it in the light, and I didn't make the play. But Adam could have made a play, too, I would say. <laughs> well, I was trying to defer to you because you have shown great hands in, in CU football practices, and I've also shown your speed on that turf right there. <laughs> All right, building me back up. Now I can do this. Speaking of a t-shirt toss, and since this goes into the introduction you just gave me, which I appreciate, by the way, but come on, man. they got to stop discriminating against the large people. Big people need t-shirts too. I think well, they only have the kids, like <laughs> maybe they only have like I'm medium shirts. I'm just kidding, but it's just funny because I can't even like care to. I'm like, yeah, go after the t-shirt that hasn't fit me since I was six. All I can say is, if I would have caught that t-shirt, I would not have given it to the kid in the Blaine Gabbert jersey. He already got a ball. He was taking yeah, care of yesterday. Blaine Gabbert. Well, we got to talk football. Recap the 2015 season, uh, and then for you hoops heads out there, we are going to talk some CU basketball. A little bit more of a positive topic at this point guys let's just really dive into it here on the football side going into camp Tyler you had predicted this to be a four-win team Ryan and I had picked this to be a five-win team we watched preseason camp we let the optimism kind of seep in a little bit Tyler you upped your prediction to five wins and Ryan and I up to six wins of course Tyler you were the closest to being right there uh in terms of the season turning out in comparison to your expectations, not that far off for you, Tyler. 
Yeah, it wasn't really. Um, you know, we had some bad luck with injuries too, which I think really impact that number. I mean, you'd like to think if Cephal stays healthy or, you know, like Jeremy Irwin, I think is the biggest one probably with all the offensive line struggles we had this year. Uh, just having that anchor, I think, really would have helped us out. Ryan Moeller um, was huge in the secondary for us early on in the year. It would have been nice to have him around. Um, yeah, so I mean, we weren't too far off you know, a little bit of luck one way or the other, and I think we do get to that five or six wins pretty easily. So, obviously, the end result is disappointing. Um, you know, at the, I really did think we were going to win five this year, and we only got to four. Um, you know, same story as last year, kind of a lot of close losses. Um, so, I do think we're close, but I don't know, you know, I think this is the last year where we can look to that and say, you know, we're almost there. I think at some point you do need to turn that corner and start winning some of the games. So, for me, it was still a disappointing outcome to the year. Yeah, I, I honestly think the team played like pretty close to what I expected in the preseason. Um, the defense was vastly improved and to a point where they were in all these games. They, you know, they held multiple opponents to under thirty points, which is what I think you need to do to win the Pac-12. Um, the, the the places I guess where we were wrong is expecting the offense to maintain or improve. And I think we just overestimated the offensive line a little bit. Even before the injuries, um, they weren't as capable as we thought they might have been. Uh, and then I, I just, I guess I just kind of bought in a little too much when Mike McIntyre said they were going to finish these games that they're, they're in in the fourth quarter. Um, you figured, you know, they, they had their chances last year and they, they were able to look back and realize why they lost them and kind of make those improvements. Uh, and it just didn't happen. Uh, they they weren't able to close on those games, and you look at it, and if they are, then yeah, they're sitting at five, six, seven wins, um, and I think we said it before, I, I joked before with the season, I said if they lose that Hawaii game, I'm changing, I'm going to change my prediction down to four wins, and it, you know, after it happened, you, you kind of saw, uh-oh, like, they didn't fix those problems, and you knew it from, I, I think people after the first game were, were worried about overreacting to that but when you look back I think that's that game really set the tone for the season we'll get into our position grades later but I think we undervalued what Daniel Munyer and Ka'Evi Crabb brought in there at guard because you just kind of looked at you know specifically to your point on the offense Ryan is that with just Tyler McCulloch who who played a pretty big role in the offense and those two guards you just made the assumption that they're going to be as good or better and of course that didn't that didn't turn out that way and then we I think me personally, the reason I went from a five-win prediction to a six-win prediction is that Cephal Lufau had a better preseason camp this year than he did the previous year. Mm -hmm. That's what gave me that extra optimism. And at times, he did some things better, especially in the run game. But by and large, you can't say that he really progressed as a quarterback before he got hurt. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, the... A one, I guess it's kind of a positive spin on it, depending on how you look at it. The only game I really remember watching being like wow we're really outclassed talent wise this year was Stanford I mean Arizona obviously beat us down pretty good but they had a couple of fluke plays in the first half I mean that fumble for a touchdown they Arizona State a, Arizona, Arizona State. State yeah sorry Arizona State and they also had that tipped pass that ended up being a touchdown where we should have picked it off and they got it for a touchdown so I mean to me Stanford was the only game where I was just watching where I was just like wow like they're a lot better than we are and so I think you know we obviously have to find a way to stop making all those losing play and mistakes that we continue to do game in and game out. You know, you see people, the fan base gets frustrated because they're making all these stupid plays. But yeah, I think from a talent perspective, we, we seemed like we were much closer this year than we have been in previous years, at least in my eyes. 
I think you'd have to say the Hawaii game is the most disappointing result on the season. In terms of conference play, which close game do you think was was the hardest to stomach? Was it UCLA where you outplay them for most of the game and still come away with a loss? I, there's so many. I mean, the, the options are endless here. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think UCLA kind of sticks out to me. Um, just because they really did outplay them from whistle to whistle. They were the better team on the field that day. And to come away with nothing um, and to have that 14-point swing where Seth Foot throws a pick six on the goal line, um, it's just, that was the ultimate buffs loss to me. Uh, and so I think that – but then again, you look at USC, and that's a home game. That's where you can have a signature win at home, you know, uh, fans charge the field, all, all that feel-good stuff. Um, so that one sticks out too, but j- just because that, that UCLA game, they were clearly the better team on the field that day. Yeah, I was, I would have said Arizona, honestly, because I, I think we were better than they are. I really do. I think we were a better team. We were at home, like watching that game, they were better. They brought in a running quarterback and we didn't adjust to it and we lost. That's really the only reason we lost that game in my eyes. And that's the most frustrating thing. USC would have been a big one. I think if Seth Fell stays healthy, we win that game probably. Um, so you get some bad luck there. Um, that obviously would have been a bigger game as far as, you know, you're beating one of the top tier programs in the, in the, the conference. I mean, obviously they're playing in a Pac-12 championship game. Um, but the Arizona one sticks out to me as the game that we really should have won because I do think we were better than them this year. You do have to get to the point where you stop making excuses for games. In that game, though, the worst timing to have your linebackers go down and have true freshmen out there and a red true freshman playing linebacker against that offense, that was... Just really bad timing. I feel like if they had gotten them at a time where their linebackers were healthier, that, that would have been a different game. Tyler, you had uh, a post on the Stampede Elite message board immediately after the Utah game, and I think it's already gotten like over 100 replies and 1,500 views. Kind of a, a hot topic. You thought that Colorado would have finished 6-7 and seven if Seth Lufau does not go, go down in that USC game. Yeah, it's I, really, it's kind I, of I really do. Um, you know, obviously it's just an opinion and – who knows how the games play out if Cepho plays, but I think he's pretty clearly our best quarterback. A lot of people seem to disagree. I mean, I think I think Cade played better than I expected, absolutely. Um, for a freshman, he did a pretty good job, and the, the gap was not as big between Cepho and Cade as I thought for sure. But he's definitely our most experienced, our most talented. He provides us another dynamic offensively with his ability to run the ball, especially in the red zone. Um, and we, you saw time and again, we scored on that QB draw in the red zone with Cepho countless times in the games before he mm-hmm. went down. And we really struggled in the last few games of the year in the red zone. Um, he was playing great in that USC game before he got hurt. The offense really stalled out after that. Um, and Not immediately, was, though. Yeah, I mean, they had one one drive right away that they came down and scored. But they got good field position on that drive, too. I mean, yeah, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, even all the way. So he ended up having three starts, right, Kate? Uh, three starts plus the half of he had three starts. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Well, two, 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 two and a half. Two, so two and a half. Well, it, in those two and a half games, he never uh, led a touchdown drive with a full field. So yeah. that stands out to me because mm-hmm. um, every time that they were able to score is because of a punt return, an interception, um, a long kick return. So Cepho in that sense, was obviously the much better option at orchestrating a drive. Yeah, I mean, I just think he's he's the most talented guy. And we had opportunity. I mean, USC obviously is the big one because we were up quite a bit to start that game. Um, and then Utah, they just made so many mistakes that we were unable to capitalize on and had too many mistakes of our own. I, I just think 
Cepho gave us. I think we would have won both, but I can say for 100% certainty he would have given us the best chance to win both. I tend to think they find a way to win one more game if he's healthy. I don't know if I'm quite ready to go two wins there. Ryan, what do you think? It just depends on which which one. Um, I think if they do end up winning that USC game, they have a, a whole bunch of confidence, a whole bunch of momentum. I think they go and have a stronger showing at Washington State. You know, um, the offense, I promise you the offense scores more than three points with Sefo Lufa, quarterback at Washington State. Um, and then, I mean, they I think they score more than 14 against Utah. So I see where Tyler's coming from on that. But it is impossible to predict. And um, you can't discount the fact that Sefo hasn't been able to make those winning plays either. Mm-hmm. So I think it's tough to say, but um, if you just kind of switch out the quarterbacks and put them into the exact same game in the exact same situations, I think you do have a different outcome. Offensive MVP, obviously Nelson Spruce. Defensive MVP, obviously Chido Bayouze. Who would you guys give the overall team MVP to between those two guys? Or if you want to throw a curveball at me, go for it. Uh, I'd give it to Cheeto. I, I think the way that defense was improved, um, was he had so much to do with that. I think he's just such an absolute we- weapon for Jim Levitt um, that he can do so many things with him. And there's no – as an offense, you never it, – it's weird to – to not know what's going to happen when you're the offense, because usually as the offense you have control of so many things, but you really don't know what they're gonna, how they're gonna use Cheeto on each and every play, um, and he made, he just made an absolute huge impact on why that defense was able to make such a huge improvement. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to argue against Cheeto as well. Um, the big thing about defense is you have to get teams off schedule, and no one makes plays that puts a team off schedule offensively than Cheeto. So many tackles in the backfield for a you know, for a corner or a nickel, however you want to put it. Um, just always making a big play. It sounds like it, it seemed like to me, and he, you know, every time we needed a big play and it and it actually happened, it seemed like it was Shido. He's legitimately unblockable for a wide receiver. Yeah, wide receiver he's, cannot block. He's him. an absolute stud, and I, people have been concerned whether or not he's coming back. I think he is going to come back because he just doesn't get enough attention. And when you're not going to the combine, those things do matter. He's not on a good enough defense for me yet, um, and and his size is not ideal um, either. So I, I do think he'll be back, which is great for CU because he's a fantastic player. He'll be one of the best defensive players in the conference next year. I think, Ryan, we were talking about this. It, it seems like with those fringe guys, though, they always leave yeah, it's with CU. CU. You never know with those guys. But I think it'll be huge for him to come back, and I think he'll get a lot more corner uh, on tape next year if he does come back I, I think that they'll be able, he'll be able to kind of um, play to what the NFL scouts want to see a little bit more obviously they're not going to only be worried about Cheeto and his draft stock they're going to be worried about how they can win games but just with Kenneth leaving um, and there being kind of uh, a lot more time in um, a slot to fill there I think he will get a, a lots of Corner, corner time. I agree with you guys, and I'm going to say Cheeto Bayouze as well. So he is the Buff Stampede Radio MVP for the Colorado Buffaloes this year. I don't know, maybe we need to make some kind of trophy or something. <laughs> I have a personal plea, though. I really hope Cheeto Bayouze is, is a well-spoken young man, and he did not want to talk to the media this year. I hope if he comes back next year as a senior that he kind of relishes that role a little bit more. He can do so much for him and the program if he talks to guys like Ryan and I, just to kind of get get his message out there a little bit. Yeah, it was surprising that he did that because it's not like any of us ever said anything bad about him. I mean, all we ever do is sing the praises of Cheeto Bayouzi. So, um, 
you'd hope that he he comes back and he he could kind of be the face of the program next year. You know, he's going to be the best player on the team. So um, it, it'd be rough, I guess, for not only us but for the program to not be able to put your uh, your best player out there in the media. I guess I didn't get into my reasoning for having him as a team MVP, but it's really simple. It's Jim Levitt will tell you I make I'm able to make calls because of Cheeto Beowuze. And he's obviously didn't have a, he had a kind of a reclamation project when he came to Boulder in terms of the defense, but to have that piece there really kind of I think eased Jim Levitt's transition into trying to implement his system here. Most improved player on both sides of the ball. Uh, I'll lead off here. I, I'm going to go and this and this is nothing against Sean Irwin, but it's kind of against the rest of the offense that I went with Sean Irwin here because I'm kind of looking and go okay quarterback no running back no. Really, you would have liked another guy to really earn that title. Sean Irwin made some some catches that we I personally didn't think he was capable of. I mean, two of his catches uh, basically saved an inter- interception. Stole the ball, yeah. So uh, I thought he continued to be one of the best blocking tight ends in the conference and became a weapon and a shoot a weapon they should have used more than they did. Yeah, I also actually had Sean there. Um, I think there was a time, and it's it's a little bit. I guess unfair to take it away from him because he got injured, but there was a time where Shea Fields was right on track to, I think, take this title. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the injury, he basically disappeared for the most part, and um, we know how tough it can be for athletes to come back from that high ankle sprain, so I don't blame him. But I think since he you know, was basically invisible for the last, whatever, five, six games of the season, um, I give it to Sean Irwin, too, because not only did he emerge as a bit of a threat on offense uh, catching the ball, he also, like Mike McIntyre loves to say, might be the best run-blocking tight end in the conference. So uh, it's it's hard to not give it to him the, with what you said. You know, you look through, and the only person I think who would, could go to other than him would be Shea Fields. Um, I actually said Donovan Lee, which is probably cheating a little bit. Um, but I just think he did some things that I didn't expect him to this year, and I thought he really stepped up when he needed when we had some injuries. Um, I don't think – did he have a single touch in that Utah game? No, they, they had him. They would have had him on maybe a touchdown if Kate Abstey didn't sail it over his head. Yeah, so it was just crazy to me. It seemed like he had made such an impact on the offense in the previous, I guess, the middle portion of the season towards the end there, and didn't really use him that much in that Utah game, which was pretty surprising. I think he's going to be really good for us going forward. He he's really versatile and can do a lot of different things for the offense. So I'm excited to see um, how they decide to use him going forward. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm not sure what they're gonna do there. Have him alternate days at, at slot wide receiver and running back, or if they want to make him become a full time running back I mean, with the graduation of Christian Powell. It's kind yeah. of interesting to see what will happen. It reminds me a lot of Tavon Austin. It, obviously, Tavon has more natural speed, but they, they kind of use him all over the field and get him on a lot of reverses and use him out of the backfield a lot. And I think Donovan Lee can kind of play that same role for us. He actually led the team in all purpose yards per game. Uh, he had been suspended for the first two games, so he didn't have the most total all-purpose yards, but average per game, he actually led the team. So it's not a bad pick there, Tyler. What about defensively? Defensively, I took Ryan Moeller, um, and it's kind of funny to say that after I took it away from Shea for getting injured, but I just thought there really wasn't much of another option there um, for for how well a guy came in, and we saw it from the first day of fall camp, as Tyler likes to point out, and Jim Levitt kind of had his arm around him saying, you're going to play a lot of football this year. Um, he did play a lot of football, and he played a lot of good football. Uh, and it was 
it wasn't necessarily backbreaking for the defense because they were able to plug in a sixth-year senior there who knew exactly where he needed to be at all times. But it hurt a little bit. It hurt a little bit to lose Ryan Muller. And, uh, so he made such a vast improvement with such low expectations that I can give it to him without being injured because on the flip side with Shea Fields, it was like, well, Shea Fields is supposed to be that good. Yeah. Now, I mean, Ryan Muller's a stud, and I um, really considered him as well. I mean, I, he just didn't play enough for me. Uh, I'm going to go with the homer pick and say Jimmy Gilbert. Um, <laughs> people just kind of frustrate me with their thoughts on him a lot. He, he, he probably doesn't make the most plays on the team defensively, but I think he does make a lot of really big plays, which are important as well. I mean, he had a lot of big sacks. I mean, Adam told me before the show he led the team in sacks this year, which is, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. <laughs> probably not. But... But he, but it's a reality, and uh, I, I remember in, in that Utah game, he had the biggest run stop of the game, and I, I forget which other game he had another huge run stop as well um, early in the year. I think maybe it was Arizona. Uh, but he it seems like he just always made big plays, and I just I feel like he deserves a little more credit. So I'd got to throw him out there. All right, I went with Justin Solis, a guy that – it's not that he wasn't a good player before, but – this was a guy that just really stepped up to the challenge when Josh Tupo got suspended for this season. A guy that played a lot more snaps than uh, I think anybody really thought going into the into the season. And uh, his coaches, as he likes to point out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in that nose tackle role in in Levitt's scheme, you're not going to necessarily be the guy that's making all the plays defensively. But he did a good job taking on multiple blockers, and uh, he ended up with a fairly decent sack total, or I'm sorry, uh, tackle total of 42. For a nose tackle, that's yeah, pretty that's darn good. good. Yeah, three sacks. So that's yeah, I mean, what he did. He was probably the most sure tackler on that defensive line. Yeah, I mean, if he, he got was, a guy in the backfield, that he was going down. Yeah, he was. He was no doubt extremely impressive. Um, I, I think by the end of camp, we knew that he was going to be better than I think people were giving him credit for. But he really played very well this year. I didn't want to pick a senior though because he's not going to be back. But I mean, he's well deserved. I think it does say a lot about Jim Levitt though that we all had somebody else and that there wasn't an obvious. Do you pick necessarily on defense, despite the overall... Like, obviously, the defense was much improved, but it's still kind of difficult to pick out one specific player. I find that kind of interesting. You could even say Cheeto Beowuze, for as good sure, as he yeah. was before, to be become even, a, you know, take it a step further. Do you think it's fair to say that, with the way Solis played, there wasn't a drop-off from Tupo? Ooh. I will say this. If Josh Tupo comes back on the roster next year, that would be a blessing in disguise. Not that you want a guy to get suspended and get in trouble, but they would both be playing out their last year of eligibility having to split reps, basically, because yeah. they're similar body... I would say they're not similar body types, but they're big dudes that right. would kind of play a similar role. I will, I will say this. If you had asked me that question before the year, I would have laughed at you. Right. And I'm not going to now. I, th I think it's a legitimate question. I think, I think if you get... Justin Sully's production on Josh Dupo next year, you're happy. Yeah. I'll, say, I'll say that. All right, guys, well, let's move on to our position grades here, starting with uh, quarterback. And I'm going to throw some questions your way and uh, have you guys compete here, a little a competition. I'm going to ask you where Colorado ranks in some of these, di some of these different uh, positions and categories. There's 127 FBS programs. Where do you think Colorado finished in terms of passing offense this season? What, what was their rank? Uh, 78th. I, I, they didn't throw the ball well at all. Uh, I, 81st. All right, this is going to surprise you guys. 47th, actually. But this was quite a dip, <laughs> quite a dip from uh, 2014 when they were 19th. Tyler, you had the lower total there, so you get a point here. 47th? I still don't understand how 
there's only 46 teams better than them in passing the ball yeah. this year. <laughs> All those statistics we saw from pro football focus about Cepho being at the top half of the league in passing, I guess, make more sense. How is that possible? I don't know. I'm I'm shocked. Is it has a triple option made a comeback and we just weren't privy to it? Are they giving him all of his rushing yards in that total? No, that's just passing offense. But again, in 2014 they finished 19th, so that's a substantial drop, even though it's higher than or I guess better than we thought it was going to be. That blows my mind. What what kind of position? With the way, with the way they spread the with the way teams are spreading the ball out across the country and especially teams in the lower division like Houston. They, they probably average 200 more passing yards a game than us. I yeah. feel like Sefo only had like one or two games over 300 yards. He even though in some games, like if you remember the Arizona State game, he had a ton of yards. Yeah, well, that was his best game yardage-wise, but I think he had like 380. The weird thing with him, some of his better games, the stats really didn't look all that mm-hmm. great. Yeah. What, what kind of position grade would you give quarterback uh, kind of taking into account, uh, you know, as well what Kate Apsay did in there? And I guess if you want to... I guess you should include Jordan Gerke's small sample size there as well. And Jaleel Weenie. <laughs> and Jaleel Weenie, hey. put, I put C-, minus, um, and honestly, Kate Apsay helped that grade for me because he was better than I expected when he got into the game. I don't think he was good, but he was better than I expected, so that helped it a little bit for me. Cepho was worse than last year. Um, obviously, that, that number is a little shocking. Uh, better overall than I would have said, the, the number you just threw out for us. Um, so I said C minus. I I would think that maybe a couple of you said even lower than that. So I'm interested to see what everybody else said. But it it wasn't a good showing from the quarterbacks this year. That's for sure. I actually said C um, because while I think Stefo came back a little bit, I don't think he was bad by any means. So it's hard for me to give something, give what I would call a bad grade to what I believe was a very serviceable quarterback. And then, like Tyler said, I, I expected Kate Apsay to be a D-minus at best, and I think to his ability he played in, in the C range as well. So, um, and then Jaleel Aweeney was like A-plus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's hard for me to give a bad grade to a group that I that I think was solid, or at least serviceable. I was actually going to give the quarterbacks a D plus, but then I looked at it, the quarterback efficiency rating for all of CU's quarterbacks, even throwing in Nelson Spruce was saying his four attempts. Was their efficiency for, was uh he know. was he was one of four. Okay. Uh their efficiency for Colorado's quarterbacks as a group was hundred and twenty one point eight. Their opponents for the entire season was one twenty three point eight. So Really not a huge difference between Colorado's passing efficiency and their opponents throughout the course of the season. That surprised me a little bit, just kind of like their overall passing ranking nationally. So I'll, I'll go C-minus there. Anything else you guys want to add with the quarterbacks here? Nope, nope. I All hope right. it improves next year. I think. Right. I mean, I think you have to like the pieces available to you, that one of them will step up and be able to have a pretty good year for us. All right, next up, running back. Brian, you start out this time. Where do you think Colorado ranked nationally out of 127 FBS programs in terms of rushing offense? Per game, rushing yards per game, or total rushing yards? So I guess it's all the same. But. It's uh, per game. Okay, okay. Uh, I'll say 66th. That was actually pretty close to what I was going to say. I was going to say 70th. Tyler gets another point. It was 84th nationally, Jeez. which actually is, is worse than 2014 when they ranked 75th. Now, if you remember, Colorado actually ranked really high in the country like early in the season, so their ranking dipped dramatically yeah. as the season wore along. 
I knew I was going to be bad at this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got plenty more categories to catch up here, Ryan. <laughs> what, what do you guys have for a position grade in terms of the running backs? Um, I actually had a B, which with a total number, I guess I need to correct. But um, I guess I, I guess the reason I did it is I like the pieces. I think we have four really good quality backs that even if we have some injury issues, you can rely on any of them. Um, you know, I, I think we need to get a little better in short yardage in the red zone, punching it in. Um, we don't really have a guy that I love short yardage right now. I mean, Philip Lindsay obviously is a guy that works really hard and will battle for that extra yard, but it'd be nice if they had somebody with that mentality that was 250 pounds, not 180. Yeah, I, I gave it a C. I threw another C on there. Um, and I don't know if it necessarily was as much of the player's fault as it was on the coaches. Um, I just I don't know if they were always put in the best position to succeed. I don't know if always the right player was put in at the right time, and I don't know if the play calls were always great. So I think that had a lot to do. I mean, you. I wish there was a way to kind of go back and look at the stats when they put the two tight ends in there and really lined up and played power football. Um, I think they ran the ball really well in those situations. Um, I, I would be surprised if they had less than five yards per carry on those attempts. So. I just I wish we could we would have seen more of that. Um, I just I think that there was a lot of times where I didn't think the hot hand stayed in there, or I didn't think the right guy was put in to replace the one before him. So overall, I think the players, like Tyler said, I think the players are good players. I think they're good running backs, but I think the production um, was only worth a C to me. Kind of going off what you were saying, Ryan, uh, I would have liked to see more of Donovan Lee running the ball late in the season. This is a guy that on the season averaged nearly six yards per carry, which was more than a yard better than anybody else in terms of the running backs. Well, I guess Michael Atkins was five yards carry before he got hurt. But in terms of the healthy guys late in the season, I thought he had proven to be their best running back. In terms of a, a grade, I'll probably go with a C+. Plus. Um, just they, they have really nice pieces there. They just don't have that difference maker. If the blocking is not there... They're not going to be successful, and that's the case for most teams. Of course, Colorado fans have been a little starved for that guy that can be a difference maker, that can make something out of nothing, which they really haven't had since Rodney Stewart have, graduated. Have we reached the point with Michael Atkins where anything he does from here on out is gravy? I think so. Yeah, I mean, he's just proven that he can't stay healthy, which is unfortunate because it seems like he's pretty solid when he does actually play. It's just rare. I will say, though, I think you, you do redshirt him, and you – you try to keep him in your program and, and see if he can stay healthy. I know there's some fans that are so frustrated that they're like, why even redshirt him because he'll never be healthy, just push him through the program. I think he's too talented to do that. Yeah, it's a hard situation because that's like you're Colorado. You can't just push talented players out the door, I don't think. But what if he you know, pulls a hammy in the first game next year and is out the rest of the season? It's like, well, there was a wasted scholarship. Well, your, your kickoff specialist this year had a scholarship. Yeah, so I yeah. Think you <laughs> there are guys that I would put ahead as a wasted scholarship for sure, especially considering if he goes out, you have other guys that you can plug in there. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I mean, I don't see any reason you would not bring him back. No, definitely. You, I mean, you do bring him back. You do. I'm just saying you can understand why if you went out you know, in the first game with some injury that's normally not season-ending and was never able to come back, you'd be frustrated that that happened again. All right, let's move along to wide receiver. And uh, this is, I mean, there's not a separate team stat here. So I will throw out a question to you guys as it relates to the receivers. And I'll ask you, how many 
touchdown receptions did CU's receiving corps as a group haul in this season? Including running backs? Nope, just receivers. Just receivers. Can I... Why are you chuckling over there? Can right? I think huh? in my head for a second? Because I just... Pulled up the stats on your laptop? No, no, no. I just... No, I just I are we including tight ends? No, okay, just receivers. Just receivers. Nine. I'm going to say seven. Eleven. Okay. Tyler gets another point, right? Well, Nelson's got Don't four, right? And Shea's got four. Spruce four. Fields four. Devin Ross two. Oh, see, I thought he had one. Who else has one? J-Mac. Uh, Don't you remember uh, that Nickel State? State? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was, that was, I shorted them. I, was that the highlight of the whole season? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> no, it was he was CSU awesome in the, was game. the highlight of the season. Oh, his season. CSU was definitely the highlight of the season for the team. All right, receiver position grade, which is very sad. Uh, I give them a B minus, and it's pretty much simply because Nelson Spruce is a boss. So I mean, it's funny that you know, like it seemed like he had kind of a down year this year. It really because of the touchdown totals. I think more than anything, four is probably an underwhelming number. Um, but. I mean, nationally, his numbers compared to everybody else in the high major conferences are still very <laughs> thousand good. yards. Yeah, thousand 89 yards. Catches. Yeah, eighty nine catches. I, I have to take a second to praise myself here for a second. I set the over under on Nelson Spruce catches at eighty nine point five for the season. <laughs> That's, That's nice. <laughs> That's pretty good right there. Got uh, this man a bookie job, right? I uh, I gave him a C minus, and it's because I. I had to rate it, like, I in my mind, it's just, I can't give the uh, the rest of the group so much credit for how good Nelson is. Like, uh, Nelson is amazing. I think he he's an A, um, or even better. But no one, like, no one else stepped up. I, no one else did anything after, especially after Shea got injured. It was like, it was Nelson versus the world. Uh, no one else was doing anything. I mean, Devin Ross really... Fell short of my expectations for him this year. Bryce Bobo, we're not even sure if he's alive still. Um, and so I, I, I think the rest of the group was very, very underwhelming aside from Shea early in the season. Um, and I kind of just mentally had to take Nelson out of it because I felt like I'd be giving the other the rest of the guys too much credit if I rated Nelson and let him bump it up that high. I'm kind of along your lines there, Ryan. I, I went C- just an even C. Again, it's in our preseason show, we're talking about, is this the best receiving corps since DJ Hackett and McCoy? Yeah. Is this the team's strength? And it, aside from one player, just wasn't. And now if Shea Field stays healthy, maybe it's a different story there. But, yeah, I mean, Devin Ross had trouble with drops. And it just, you kind of go down the line. And I wouldn't say there was one player in this group that exceeded my expectations this year. Did Devin Ross have double-digit drops? Oh, yeah. Although so. someone on the board, I think it was Ralph on the board, said that he had a better uh, catch reception number this year than Shea Fields, <laughs> which I hope is not true. Are you talking average uh, no, yards per reception? He, no, he put up some stat that said, like, you know, it's like a catch radius stat. All the balls thrown his way, he caught a certain percentage of them that was higher than Shea Fields. I didn't look it up to confirm, but I really hope that's not true. Well, he had 324 receiving yards, and I feel like... If even half the drops he catches, I mean, this is you talk about five hundred yards. Yeah. Oh, easily. I mean, I can remember three specific ones that were all fifty yards each alone. So yeah. the one in that Utah game really hurt. Yeah, you can't drop that. That ball literally 
right into your bread basket with no one there. He would have walked into the end zone because the defender had just flown by him. All right, we're going to move along to tight end now. I'll ask you guys the total number of receptions between Sean Irwin, Dylan Keeney, and Christian Powell. And Why Christian Powell on there? He's Christian Powell? He plays, he's like a, a hybrid. No George Frazier then? What did I say, Christian Powell? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, George Frazier. Okay. That's like, uh, okay, combine catches between Sean Irwin, George Frazier, and who else? And Dylan Keeney. Right? Yeah. Uh, no, no Christian Powell. Right, no Christian Powell, who probably didn't have to catch anyways. Um, no, they probably flanked it out to him on some... 21. Uh, 22. 27. Yes! I had to cheat to get one. You're no fun. <laughs> 27, really. How many did Irwin have? Sean Irwin had uh, 15. 15 for 248 yards, no touchdowns. Probably he actually Sean, Sean Irwin actually led the team in terms of yards per reception. I don't think anybody <laughs> oh, could have guessed that going into the season. Yeah, that's that's about what I thought he had. How many? I mean, Keeney had like two, didn't he? he no, six, he had seven. seven. Really? Okay. Six, I'm sorry. All right. Ooh, I and then Frazier was right in there as well. Can I have a point? You're improving, Ryan. <laughs> a <Is> this... point. <laughs> Fair enough. I didn't realize that Keeney had that many catches. I guess he did have three in, in the Washington State yep. game. I'll give him a B plus. Actually, he should have had seven in the touchdown because they had that sweet play that they were ending at CSU that got called back. Oh yeah, that was yeah, that was a great play. Um, I had it at C plus. Um, Irwin played well. They just don't use him enough. It's not it's not their fault. I guess I was more that's based off the production of what those guys could do when they were out there versus yeah, mine's twenty seven. I wouldn't uh, it's underwhelming. It's okay. two a game. From three guys. My expectation, preseason expectations go yeah. into this too. Yep. So I, I think they exceeded um, my expectation. I think Sean Irwin exceeded my expectation uh, catching the ball. I think he's a lot more athletic than people gave him credit for. George Frazier exceeded your expectations this year. I, I, no. But <laughs> I, he's just making sure. I just think, uh, I think Sean Irwin was a really good option at, at yeah. tight end. I, I think he might be overvalued. On a macro perspective, undervalued on a ma- on a macro yeah, perspective. Yeah, I, mean, I was pretty high on him in the preseason. So, so I gave them a B. Yeah, he did. He did what I expected this year. I just think between Frazier and Dylan Keeney, there are not two more underused players on this team. I, so, I was kind of hoping after that Stanford game that like Brian Lindgren would be like, "Oh, that's a good idea. Let me line up Dylan Keeney on a corner wide when we're in the in the red zone," but he never did that. All right, let's move along to offensive line. This one might get kind of rough here. Um, <laughs> Where do you think Colorado ranked nationally among 127 FBS teams? i got to emphasize 127, and you're going to find out here in a minute why. Where did they rank in terms of sacks allowed this season? Uh, 120th. Tyler, what do you think? 109th. You ready for this? Tied for 123rd nationally. Nice, that was close. Yuck. So Ryan gets another point. Come back, I thought, back I thought Adam was trying to trick us, and that was going to be like 70th. Well, this was an offensive line, and it's not that this stat is not all on the offensive line, obviously, but it's a big part of it. Uh, last year, they ranked tied for first with Stanford for fewest sacks allowed in the conference. So talk about a huge difference. Off. And, that, and that's why the offense underachieved this year. Yep. It's 100%. Pretty simple. We're going to talk about my thoughts on this later, I have a feeling. 
Um, I gave them, this might be a cop-out, but I gave them an incomplete grade because I, there was just so many injuries that I, like, I, I can't cop out. I can't even grade it. Like the, they wasn't it wasn't their offensive line out there. It was. I'm gonna correct uh, this, Adam. Don't worry. But even in like let's say the Hawaii game, yeah, you have a couple of new pieces, but they're healthy at that point. Right. I mean, it's an F. It's an F. Okay. I think if you're really great, I mean, it was a failure. The offensive line was a failure, and it's really. Over 90% of the reason I think this offensive offense sucks. There was enough portion of the season, though, I would say through the first half of the season, where their ground blocking was good enough for me to give them a D. Good enough against Nichols State and UMass? Uh, even going into the UCLA game, I was looking. They were ranked in the top half of the conference in rushing yards still at that point. So, I no, I mean, it's a D. It's not like I'm giving them right. a great grade. Yeah, I, I mean, it was... It was brutal to watch. It was T- Tyler's to just watch. over here with a smile on his face. Yeah, what, are you going to yeah. give him an A or something? Z minus. <laughs> As in zebra, for those of you on the podcast who thought that might have been a C. Zebra. Z minus. <laughs> it was that bad. I mean, you could say it was... <laughs> do you, I don't remember like there being that many holes that people were going through. I mean, people are breaking... T- it was bad. Even if the run game was decent for a while, which ended up being terrible at the end, it was bad. Yes, there were a lot of injuries, all that jazz, but it was about as bad. Like you couldn't have foreseen it being that bad in the preseason, no, or anywhere near that. It was awful. Is the main reason this team struggled the way they did this year, hundred percent. It was pretty much a nightmare scenario. You weren't getting any improvement out of the guys you had returning, and your new guys, by and large, struggle. I thought. At times, Shane Callahan actually played pretty well in there at guard. Um, at times, Alex Kelly played well at center, but just, yeah, as a collective group, uh, none of us could have predicted them to have these struggles. Let's move to the defense. I mean, someone got cooked on every single play. Yeah, pretty much. It was brutal. All right, let's move on to the defense line. What do you think would be the best? Would it be run defense here in terms of uh, a ranking to uh, – predict here yeah probably because i mean the sacks are going to come mostly from your outside linebackers per se is that how we're going to do it we're going to put mccartney at linebacker and all that yeah yeah, we're just talking about the the three guys the three down linemen uh where do you guys have colorado ranking in terms of run defense this season out of 127 fbs programs 115 wow i don't think it's that bad uh i think they were uh 97th (laughs) Ryan, you hit it on the head, 97. Boom, baby. <laughs> was, nice. this, was this an honest uh, prediction here? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. That actually, believe it or not, is an improvement over five uh, from 2014th when they ranked 102nd nationally in run defense. Uh, but that that's not all just on the defensive line, obviously. A lot of those yards against inexperienced CU linebackers out there. What do you guys have for a grade? It's going to look, I think my grade's going to look better than you would think based off their ranking there and their run defense for sure. Yeah, mine too yeah. is actually, I, mine's a B minus, and, okay. and it's because, I mean, especially in that system, it's it's not always about what the D-line is doing in terms of run defense. That's kind of more of a linebacker thing, and they're supposed to be filling those gaps. Um, and they just didn't have the bodies this year, in, in my opinion. I mean, you, you lose your best defensive run player in Josh Yupo or perceived to be um, I mean, Jordan Carroll, I think, exceeded expectations. I would say Leo Jackson exceeded expectations. Oh, yeah. um, 
obviously Solis exceeded expectations. So it's hard for me to really like say that they underperformed this year. I mean, the numbers don't look that good, but a um, people it did, didn't seem like teams were passing on us a whole lot this year in general. So I kind of inflated my guess because we saw a lot of runs. I mean, it, and to me, it was. By and large, it was much better than last year. We just gave up too many big plays. I mean, that's where I yep. thought the numbers were going to hurt us. I mean, you, the I forget who the name of Utah's running back right now, but he had 125 yards at halftime. But Joe Williams. Yeah, thank you, Joe Williams. But 95 of them were on two plays, probably, and that, he had 30 some carries in the game at, at you know by the end. So to me, it's just those big gashing plays where the linebackers are missing the right gaps. And, you know, like the Arizona game is a perfect example of all those big runs at the end there. Uh, I think if somehow we can, you know, play more assignment football and get that figure out next year, that could improve dramatically. Oh, we'll see. The, sorry to cut you off, Ryan. Jordan Carroll was some missed tackles away from being like an all-conference type of guy. Yeah. I mean, if he – that was the biggest issue with him is he was almost always the spot he needed to be, just couldn't always wrap up the guy. I, I gave them a B. Um, and it, a lot of it is basically exactly what Tyler said. I think when the when the ball was trying when they were trying to stuff it in the middle, this they collapsed on it really well. I think they made all the big plays at the right times. It was the big play that the other team got where it was a misalignment, and you never know who that goes on. It's it's hard for the only person who knows whose fault it is on those big runs is usually the coach. Um, Maybe a D lineman lined up in the wrong gap and got blocked out of the way too easily, or maybe it's a, a linebacker who lined up in the wrong back, back or a safety who went the wrong way on a misdirection. Whatever it is, um, it's hard to put that on the D line, and I think like they did a really good job of keeping teams um, out of out of schedule. I think they made a lot of big plays in the backfield and a lot of second and nines for the opposing offense. I went B minus with uh, some of those missed tackles being the main thing keeping them from uh, even a higher grade there. And uh, of course, we're going to get into more of kind of the seniors leaving. But if Josh Tupo does come in, it, you're talking about a group that could take even a, a greater stride next year because uh, you're going to bring back everybody else. Moving along to linebacker, I guess what I'll ask you guys here, since we kind of already did the run defense thing, I'm going to ask you to predict. Now, Rick Gamboa finished second on the team in tackles this season. How many tackles did he record? No idea. Uh, 71. It's higher than that. 84. It's 78. Damn. Okay, I got it by one. <laughs> yes. So Tyler is up four to three now. Good job there. <laughs> Uh, Kenneth Olobode finished third on the team with 64 tackles, and uh, there's a drop-off from there. Derek McCartney, outside linebacker, finished with 49. How many did Cheeto have? Cheeto Bay had 84 tackles. He led the team in that category. Cheeto also led the team in tackles for a loss. He had four sacks, <laughs> two interceptions, nine pass breakups, four quarterback hurries, one forced fumble. But uh, we're talking about linebackers. Yeah, I'll say, he's just going <laughs> to talk about how much he loves Sheet over the next The linebackers get a D, and I probably was fair. Maybe even I could have gone lower. Um, I mean, it was ugly from injuries to freshmen to I mean I don't know. You have to obviously it's hard to like blame Grant with Tom Bain. Rick Campbell, I guess. Especially okay. Watanabe, who thinks he's redshirting through most right, of the season. Right, yeah, I mean, so it's, you know, what what should I have really expected from them? Probably not very much. I mean, the fact that Gamboa is second on the team in tackles is not exactly 
exciting for me. Um, he he's just one of he's too easy to isolate in my eyes. He, he's not fast enough, and yeah. he, he's going to get isolated on quick running backs, slot guys all the time. He just even if he does get better technique wise and knowing where he's supposed to be on the field, he's not quick enough to play the position in my eyes. Yeah. So it, it, I'm, I, it's obviously concerning moving forward. I had a D two. I mean, what like think of a play that linebackers made. It's like it's hard to think of a Kenneth Olobode. Yeah, yeah there's pick six, six, but I mean that's and that was the biggest play. That's also Rick Gamboa made arguably the biggest part of that play, yep. breaking up. So like outside of that, I I can't think of a time where I was like, man, that was a really great play by one of the linebackers. It was either you know they're make they're doing their job and making the the tackle at their level, um, or they're getting <laughs> cooked. So it's just it's yeah. it's hard. I mean, we wanted we we really wanted Addison to kind of come back into his own, and I think Tyler was the most accurate there, saying that you know it was way too early to think that he was going to be able to stay healthy and make a, a big contribution. Um, and once that became apparent, we we said it before the season. You know, if he's going to be healthy and gets back to freshman level, then this linebacker court could be all right. But as soon as he wasn't, um, it became a big liability. All right, I'm going to go D+. Plus. I, we already talked about this on a previous show. I like Kenneth Olobori a little bit more than you guys. And then I do excuse some of the, the youth in there. Uh, that kind of goes into my grade as a D+. Plus. Let's move on to the secondary. Uh, where do you think Colorado ranked nationally in terms of pass defense? Or should we do uh, pass defense efficiency? I don't know what that is. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just do pass defense then. Uh, where did they rank in pass defense? I'm going to say 29th. Actually, let's do pass efficiency defense because I don't have pass defense on this list. Oh, okay. Pass you, think, you made a face. Did you think I was way too high? Yeah. I would have said in the 50s. Pass efficiency defense? What does that mean? Yeah, can you give Is us that like now? what the quarterback's yeah, I, I efficiency can... was against them? Correct. Okay. So that, so that number that we talked about earlier in the show. Yep. Okay. I would say that would rank us 54th. I'm going to say 34th. 58th. So Tyler gets another one here. And actually, a huge improvement here. They ranked 114th nationally in uh, pass defense efficiency in 2014. So uh, they crept up half the country in that category this season. Should we just talk a little bit more about Cheeto Beowuze? Of think course. We <laughs> That's the only way to do it. I mean, I just... It's Tedrick Thompson, man. He gets a little undervalued. He's made tons of huge plays. Yeah, Tedrick does get a little undervalued. He does get... It seems like he's always the guy that gets burned on that pump fake yeah, touchdown, Yeah, the one against Utah. Utah but he, it's happened a couple of times this yeah. year where he gets burned on that. He got burned on the Juju Schuster one as well. He's just US, hung, he's hungry game. for... For, to make big plays. Yeah, and I, yeah I mean, he's a stud. I'm I'd, not gonna, rather, I'd rather not. have him get caught on that and yeah. then make the play on third and six when he goes across the middle and, you know, um, yeah. breaks up a, a slant. I'd rather have him making that play mm -hmm. than just getting picked apart all the way down yeah, the field. I mean, he's not overrated or anything. I think he's a really good player. Yeah. That's just the one thing I think that he can improve on going into his last year. Um, I, I would say Kenneth Crowley was probably the biggest disappointment on the team for me this year. Um, Akella Weatherspoon really didn't get much better either until the very end of the year. I guess he was more serviceable. He's just not physical enough for me. Like he that one play in the end zone where he just got shoved to the ground on a, he like barely left hand 
shivered him on the hip. <laughs> I was just like, he, he was calling for an offensive pass interference, and I was just like, come on, man, give me a break. But Cheeto's a stud. He's the best player on the team. I think Ryan Muller, health, healthy, the number go the the pass defense is even better. I, I really like him. Um, and Jared Bell, what more can you say about Jared Bell, man? Yeah. We're going to miss him. I, did, did he lead the team in interceptions? Or tied. Uh, tied. Both yeah. Jared and Tedrick Thompson yeah, had three. In, in limited minutes. And he just seems like he always knows where he needs to be. And he's kind of more of a ball hawk. He's just a really smart player. And that kind of depth we're going to miss next year. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they, that was just a really, really solid group. And I think the one person you didn't mention was Isaiah Oliver, who made some big plays that make him a very promising prospect mm-hmm. to me. I'm going to go B with my grade there, and uh, I think the play of the cornerbacks uh, just not being quite as consistent is the main reason they didn't get an A. You look at that group. They were The big emphasis for that group was you've got to intercept the ball. You've got to create turnovers. After just uh, three in 2014, that group, uh, the secondary players, had 13 interceptions this season, so a huge improvement there. The only thing they didn't have that I was just hoping to see once this year was where Cheeto just rips the ball away from somebody. Did you give your grade, Ryan? Uh, no, I, I had a B. I had a B. B, okay. All right. I don't really want to do this, but we should do it and talk about special teams. It's so bad. Oh, it's, hard, it's hard to say because, I mean, like, overall the punting numbers, well, here, what's your, what's your here's, 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 a, here's a fun one, guys. How many things did they have blocked? Who? Yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus. Out of 127 <laughs> FBS programs, where did Colorado rank in terms of the number of blocks allowed? Is that that counts block punts and field goals? Correct. One hundred nineteenth, one hundred twenty-seven. Tyler is is. Pretty much right there. It's tied for 126. Oh, <laughs> dude. So somebody else had six blocks, had six set kicks blocked as well. Who was it? I have no idea. Oh, God. Oh, that's so bad. I mean, that's, that's so guys, that's, that's almost one every two games. That can't happen. No. I mean. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's the worst. Alex Kinney is the only reason it's not an F. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. And even he had struggles out the gate, but it's hard to blame him. Yeah. That's expected. I mean, he was he was better this year than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. By the end. By the end of the yeah. year. I thought. You just, you can't have your kicks get blocked. I mean, the and some of them were just so bad. Like, it's just guys just, like, completely missing. Like, it's not even like they, the other team made a good play. It was like you made such a bad play that they blocked it, and that's it's and it's horrible, oh horrible to watch. Even more frustrating is that they just kept kicking the ball. Yeah, despite all the struggles, and it's just like <laughs> we're down fourteen. <laughs> Why are you kicking a field goal when you <laughs> there's like a thirty eight percent chance it's going to like, win? Be a little more mindful of the fact that your kicker can't kick it from the left hash. Yeah. Like run a play to the right side of the field on third down. Exactly. And I, they just don't. There's no explosive plays. They, their punt returns. I mean, I love Nelson Spruce, but he had one. I'm, yes, because he actually ran forward, so that that was fun. But that's the thing, though, is like you, he had one. It's like he's been the punt returner for three years. But his job he had was never to make I, plays. His I would, job was never to make plays. That's the there. problem. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Why? Why is that the job? 
It shouldn't be the job. Well, There's got to be somebody better. You remember we talked about it before the season. Is it better to try and make explosive plays and put Shea Fields back there and take the chance? Yes. And I said no, and they lost a game because of it, because they put him you back You could there. play Jay McIntyre back there and have the best of both worlds, just yeah, saying. Can, yeah. <laughs> There's better options. There has then to be. Once a player gets a concussion, Here's a question you can't really you. put him back. Did Nelson Spruce double his punt return career yardage? In that one part of USC. No, no. Are you sure? Yes. Let's not get ridiculous here, Tyler. Uh, what is, uh, what's his total? I don't have those yards? stats in front of me. Sorry. I've got a lot of numbers, but comparing punt return. I don't remember him ever having 10 yard return ever. Okay. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. So have we all given our grades? I'm going to go D and. Uh, I said D minus. D minus, okay. D minus, yeah. Alex King, though, going forward, man, he's got a chance to have uh, quite a college career here. Mm-hmm. He's good. I mean, people always talk about how it's not that big of a deal. If you watch that Utah game, their punter is a stud. I mean, in the snow, bombing 60 yarders. Like, there was a, at least a couple times where I was like, wow, we got 20 yards worth <laughs> worse field position. Yeah, that was, that was cr- uh, every single time they stopped him on his side of the field, he still flipped it. Um, Plus, I, I think uh, Alex Kinney put on like a little freshman 15. I think that helped him in the long run. What do you, you want to see a little chub out of your punter? <laughs> okay, but, it's, it's certainly okay at that position, I guess. Um, what, gosh, what, do we, what can Colorado do with place kicker going forward? You've got Diego Gonzalez on scholarship for another year. They can, have to they try can not that. punt. Uh, not kick. Like, I mean, Florida State, or who, who's... I feel like Oregon's never had a kicker who's any good. Like Florida, their kicker's abysmal. He's a dental You can't just student. concede that you're not going to have a good kicker. I mean, obviously you're going to have a couple of field goals, but you got to go for more. you got to go for it more. I mean, would you not agree that there are several times this year where we're trotting out the kicker we really should have just gone for it? Uh, yeah, but I just think as a program, you've got to have a different well, plan than that going they, forward. You're saying they... They have to move on from Diego, you're saying? Well, yeah, you can't, you I'm kind of saying give, that. You can't give another scholarship to a kicker. Well, Diego's going to be a senior next year, and Chris Graham, I'm not 100% certain that's a guarantee that he's going to stay on scholarship throughout his career. That might have just been a one-year deal. So you think they should go out and recruit a kicker for this cycle? I just think, how we're in Colorado, there's got to be... There's, there has to be a kid somewhere that can kick the ball through the end zone. Why is it kickoff? Why do people always think that though? Like, just because they can get you know five percent more distance on their kick, it doesn't mean kids want to come to Colorado. They want to go win. Like J.K. Scott, he's I know he's a punter, but he wanted to go to Alabama because he could. Well, he five, could go be yes, a, if he's going to Alabama. Alabama. But you, you're telling me that we can't find somebody who can kick the ball through the end zone. Every other team in the country has somebody who can kick the ball. through Kickoff coverage, though, if you look at the stats, was not. The biggest issue for Colorado yeah, this year—they actually rank pretty well in that category. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. That wasn't a huge concern, but it's just like, wouldn't you like to? If you're up six with 58 seconds left, when was it'd be nice to just be able to kick. When the was ball the last the time they went a season without giving up a return touchdown? That I can't remember off the top of my head. Why are you giving people any? Just no. I'm just saying they didn't. I can't remember the last time that happened. Toby Nice needs to be gone. No positive. You can say what you want about special teams, but kickoff coverage is not one thing no, that I'm losing no, sleep over. The coverage is fine, but it would be nice to be able to just kick the ball through the end zone if you needed to. To answer your question, Ryan, you go find the the kicker version of Wyatt Tucker Smith at a JC <laughs> to be your place kicker. There you go. All right, fair enough. <laughs> All right. 
Well, that's it for our grades. Tyler, you are the winner of our competition, six to three. Uh, do you I have a, than I a concession speech here? No. Or a Ryan concession speech here? No. The volleyball team got robbed. Yeah. That's, that's my speech of the day. That's baloney. Like, not that I know anything about volleyball. Let me just throw that out there, obviously. Like, I didn't even watch them play this year. But how do you go, just throwing out some NCAA basketball, we're just going to use those numbers here. Like, how, they're the best conference in the country. They finish above 500 and beat six teams ranked in the top 25 and three teams below them in the conference go and not them. And they, had a win, and they were 4-2 and two against those teams. It makes no sense. It's garbage. I don't get it. Someone's going to have to explain it to me. Yeah, it's not going to be me. If you're the fifth best team in the best conference, you should be in. Overall team season grade. What you got for me? I said D. Um, I just, they, they, they were three wins short of what they told it, what, what their goal was. Their goal was to get to a bowl game. Um, they didn't do anything they said in terms of finishing games that they had a chance in, except for the CSU game. Uh, and I guess, uh, Oregon State, but Oregon State is so bad. Like, CSU would be Oregon State. I think CSU is a bigger, <laughs> I think CSU is a bigger win than Oregon State. Yes. If you put aside the Pac-12 losing streak, uh, so they just they didn't do anything. Like they didn't put anything on paper that I could say this was great. Besides, improve the defense and uh, the offensive regression. Regression uh, cancels that out. So yeah. it was bad. It was a fail. It was just short of a failure of a season. You lose that Oregon State game, and this becomes an F. Yeah, I mean, I interestingly, I have a D plus. The frustrating thing for me is that we wasted, I, I, not only in a year where we didn't have to get to 500 to make a bowl, the Pac-12 South was much worse than expected, and our defense was, I would say, much better than everybody expected, and yet somehow we still managed to not take advantage of it. That's the frustrating thing for me, is there was a lot, a lot of things worked out in our favor this year, and we weren't able to take advantage of any of it. Yeah, I mean, they had the opportunities to make this an A. Yeah, like so to, to not capitalize on any of those, it's you, you. There's nothing good I can say about what what they did this season. I went D plus, and the plus is basically a result of all the injuries that they suffered this season. That um, and it was kind of the worst. Was it 2011 or 2012? The last really injured real season like this. 2012 was the year that we got. Obliterated by everyone. I don't remember if there was any injuries, but it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah. uh, so clearly, none of us uh, too bullish in terms of our, our our grade here, which is understandable. Um, a lot of fans want to know what's on the horizon in terms of staff changes, and it's premature to kind of answer that. And the one thing I will caution CU fans, and I've seen some people on the message boards do this, is that. Despite what Mike McIntyre says in his postseason press conference, don't take that as gospel. Last year he said that they weren't going to make staff changes, and then, of course, Kent Bear pushed out, and uh, Andy LaRusso also leaves. So um, I would think this will be sorted out here in the coming weeks, but no definitive answers for the fans out there, unfortunately, quite yet. Yeah, I mean... There are obviously some that I will say I will be very, very surprised if there's no staff changes. Oh, there's a hundred percent chance that there will be a staff change. You don't I mean, Rick George will will guarantee I mean it's gonna happen. 
It has to. I, I don't see there's any reason that's that whether or not they push somebody out or you know someone retires, quotation marks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, someone's going to be gone. I mean, Lindgren is the biggest one I think for most people on the boards, but he wouldn't be my first choice. I mean, he hasn't been good. I mean, the red zone offense is abysmal. Um, the play calling at times was really vanilla, you know, monotonous and really predictable to me as well. But with an offensive line like that, it's difficult to really get into any kind of a rhythm. Um, so I, I think he, I don't know if I would say he should be gone, but he could be gone and I wouldn't be disappointed. Um, South Carolina looking at him for their head coaching position is that never happened. It's good. No, good. dude, Clemson lady said so. Good. <laughs> is that just can't really be a thing? So, <laughs> well, the thing I will say uh, about Brian Lindgren is that we saw two years ago that he his some of his potential, and you know, it's not like an assistant they've had for three years that has done nothing. Done nothing, right? And he's yeah. a young guy, so it's not like he's this old guy stuck in his ways, right? Yeah, not, like I said, he would not be my first choice. He'd probably be third. Uh, Bernardi for me is the one that has to go. When was the last time we had a good offensive line? I mean, you could say last year, but talent-wise, like, it's not really that impressive. I mean, they were good in pass protection, I guess, but horrible run blocking I'd last say year as well. I mean, you tied for fewest sacks allowed in the, in the conference. I would, yeah, I mean, I would say there was It's partially a product of the fact that we get the ball out so quickly as well, though. But, okay. I mean, he's been – this year is not acceptable. It's not to me. Um, so he's the, he's the number one for me. I mean – from a recruiting perspective, we're not getting the bodies we need there either. Um, I mean, it's okay to take some guys that you're going to you know, develop over the course of a few years, but you also have to get some highly rated guys as well. For me, outside of that position, and then obviously Toby Nines. <laughs> I don't really think I need to defend that decision. Uh, he's been here too long already. Um, you can say, oh, look at what he's done with Alex Kinney, but Alex Kinney is good. Like He doesn't need Toby Nines to make him good. He was good before he got here. And that you can't be last in the country in blocks, have no explosiveness whatsoever. I mean, special teams, you, the reason that Utah is a good football team is because their special teams is elite. It, it might not be the most important thing, but it's important enough that you can't be overlooked. And at this point, you just can't continue to let, try him out there when he's been brutal. Yep, I think, like we said, there's... It's going to happen. Something's going to happen. Yep. Let's move along. And uh, we will obviously touch on the staff changes a lot more when uh, more information becomes available right now. Just kind of spitball in there. I mean, it's hard to say definitively until we get more word in terms of what's actually going to happen. There's only nine seniors. That's definitely on the positive end of looking at things. And there's going to be, I think, I'm looking at the eligibility chart, and there's going to be some Juniors that I think are going to be kind of moving through the program before the eligibility runs up. Dejon Wilson and John Walker, it sounds like both of them are, are done with football. Those were guys that were juniors that, so fortunately, at least they'll be able to get their degree this spring. A guy like Yuri Wright, there's no way you can bring him back on scholarship next year. Deshaun Rippey didn't dress for games this year. He's a junior that won't be back next year, in my opinion. Um, so there, there will be more, there will be some attrition, but... It's the type of attrition you can live with, I think. Nelson Spruce is the one guy you look at this list and go, you can't replace him. Everybody else, I think you can. Yeah, I think that's kind of what leads to me to have the most positive outlook on next year. I mean, I wrote that article a few weeks back talking about the 
you know, senior production among two deep guys in the conference. We're obviously 11th. Oregon State is 12th. Um, the highest in each division were Stanford and USC. Also related, they're playing in the Pac-12 championship game next week. So um, I, I do think that kind of stuff is important. Um, yeah, to me, obviously, Nelson's irreplaceable. The other guys, though, even if they're not going to be as good maybe coming in next year, the gap is small in my eyes. Although I will say that we said that last year about the guards, and that didn't turn out to be the yeah. case. So you never really know. But to me, Stefan Nembot is a guy who has been pretty good for us. But you you would think healthy, if Jeremy Irwin's back and you can move Crown Sage or LaSalle or whoever it ends up being at right tackle over there, and they stay healthy, you know, it's it, there's not going to be a huge difference there. Um, same thing defensively, Jared Bell, you know, he's great uh, veteran, um, provides solid depth, but you bring in Ryan, Ryan Muller back, I think you probably win there. Um, and those are the only ones to, I mean, Soli, same thing. If, if uh, Tupo comes back, you probably take that trade, despite Soli's being pretty awesome for us this year. So to me... Next year, from a talent perspective, is the best team we've had. Um, whether or not it translates, I'm not. Well, you know, I guess we'll see. But I want to focus a little more on why Tucker Smith on losing. <laughs> yeah, he's never had a bad snap in his career. Um, Alex Kelly can't say that. Um, <laughs> I want to focus more on Nelson leaving because I think it's a it's a bigger deal than I think we're making out to. Like, oh yeah, well he's irrepre- irreplaceable. Well. I think with the loss of him, suddenly we go from last year thinking that wide receiver might be the strongest position on the team to next year I think it could be a weakness. I think, you know, Shea Fields is a great receiver, but he's more of a deep threat. We don't know, like people want Bryce Bobo to be good, but we don't know if Bryce Bobo is a good, reliable receiver. Um, All of a sudden I just don't know who's your guy, who's your guy that you're looking for, because I don't think necessarily Shea Fields can be that guy that you need him to be on third downs. Johnny Huntley. Okay. Just kidding. No, no, no. But but seriously, though, I, I think Shea was a little bit more of a deep threat this year, but his freshman year, he got, he was a possession balls, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think him, you could tell, people are saying, oh, he's fine, he's fine. He was not fine. He was limping around the entire second half of the year. I, I, he's not as good as Nelson, not anywhere close, but I do think that healthy, he can be a You think he can solid, be an 80, 85 reception? I would say guy? 70. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, I think he could catch 70 balls next year. Um, I think they're probably going to have to use the slot guys a little more. I think you're going to see Donovan Lee targeted a lot more next year. Uh, hopefully Dylan Keeney as well. Um, and we'll see how, how guys develop. But, I mean, the offense is going to look a little different, I think. But I think that I, I, it might be a weakness, but I, I think we'll be okay. You only, I think, said this half-jokingly with Johnny Huntley, but receiver is one position where you can have a true freshman really step up and make a huge impact. We saw it with Shea Fields uh, in, in his first year. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how they use, um, you know, all the guys coming out, coming over from Florida. I mean, I think they're all being recruited as kind of an athlete. So, and we, Joe, I mean, Joe Missy could definitely be yeah. a slot or receiver. I mean, we'll see when he gets on campus, but he's got some burst for sure. So, it'll be interesting to see what, how he looks in camp. And we had this conversation when Paul Richardson left early, too. We kind of forget about that. Right, but there still was Nelson Spruce. That's true. What Shea Fields could potentially be that guy. Right, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't think he's gonna have hundred and twenty catches and no, he's a different type of yards like Nelson did after Pierce left, but if you were 
Vegas odds maker setting odds on the quarterback competition for next year in terms of who's going to be CU's starter when they open the season next year. How are you going to set those odds? I'll lead off here since okay. you guys are quiet. <laughs> I'm going to say Cepho Lufau five to two, Montez five to two, and Apse five to one. So that would be forty percent chance of Lufau being the starter. Montez forty percent, and Apse twenty percent. Now I'll explain this. Lufau is that low because this foot injury that he suffered. There's no guarantee that he's going to be hundred percent when camp opens. Even I think I don't know if it was you, Ryan, that asked. Mike McIntyre about the quarterback competition, but even he admitted with that injury, it's tough to say. And the 40% for Montez is because I simply love that guy's abilities. Uh, we still have to see if he can kind of step up and take reins of that position. Um, but just in terms of a physical tool stand, standpoint, he's got it all. And I have to say, maybe I'm a little bit lower there. And if I catch some flack from CU fans, I catch some flack from CU fans. It's if not. If you catch flack, I'm going to catch more. So, <laughs> so I, I think he. I, I will say this about Kate Apsey, and some people will take this the wrong way, but he showed me that he can be a quality backup quarterback for CU, and yeah. there's that's much better than I thought going into the fall, and that's I'm, I'm really not trying to continuing to stay negative with Apsey, but that's just honestly how I feel. Yeah. Um, go, go. I, I was just going to say Adam is giving everybody free money because I can take Montez and Lufau and guarantee myself profit there, so thank you. I appreciate you, 5-2. to two. <laughs> so I'll take that. Um, my I have Montez three to one as my favorite, um, and it's really it's really more the fact that Cephal's. I think he's going to be out longer than six months. That's a pretty serious injury, and I think Montez is going to be given the opportunity. The to thing take is, Cephal could get healthy one week before the season and still be the starter. He might. Yeah, I mean, he's. I have number two at seven to two, so he's right behind three and a half to one instead of three to one. So they're basically even money for me. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of wishful thinking because I do think Montez is the most talented quarterback on the roster. Um, well, he's get. I think this the Lufau injury is kind of a blessing in disguise for him because he's going to get a lot of reps yep. in, in the spring now that he probably wouldn't have if Lufau was healthy. Um, so he's going to be given every opportunity to win the job, and I think same you could you saw with Apse you get a couple, you know, weeks in there where you're actually practicing with those guys and you can improve pretty quickly. Um, so I think Montez has that opportunity. Lufau 7-2. Worst case scenario is he's the best backup in the conference probably um, and arguably in the country. I mean, he's, he's a guy you would rely on as number two. Actually, I have it 5-1, to one, so not, you know, crazy out there. Um, for me, I just don't think he's got the body to be healthy as a quarterback in Colorado. He's not big enough. Um, he, he's, he's more at mobile than Cepho, but not enough that he's going to avoid getting destroyed in, in my eyes, especially with the offensive line issues that we have. Um, he was definitely better this year than I expected, but he's not a guy to me that I can see making a huge impact on this team's future. Um, so, I mean, you can hate on that all you want, I guess, but that's just truly how I feel. So those are my odds. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> I have Cepho at even money. I think, that he um, he's a three-year starter. Uh, he I I think he will be back in time for camp, and I don't even think he had. I mean, he's been in this program long enough that he doesn't need all these reps and all this all this stuff to get ready. So I think if he's healthy at any any time during camp, it instantly makes him the favorite, in my opinion. Um, I have Montez at three to one. I think that he has a, a good chance. I think 
He has the talent. Um, and I don't want to freak anyone out, but I, the number one thing that worries me about Montez is this, this staff's ability to develop. I think he has all the tools. I think he is more physically gifted than Sefo or Cade. But I'm just worried about the 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 ability of the staff to develop in, him into a starting quarterback in just one year. Um, so that's my biggest worry there. And then I put Apse at ten to one. I really just I don't think there's a chance there. Um, I think he like like we said he was better than we thought. He showed a lot, but he, I, I just he didn't do anything to make me believe that he would take the job away from a three-year starter. Um, and I think the unknown of Steven Montez is the only thing that keeps me higher on that. But I I feel pretty strongly that, and I, I, I don't think a lot of people are going to like this, but I feel pretty strongly that Steph is going to be the starter um, next year. All right. Well, you guys correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I kind of get the sense from reading the message boards and social media that of the fans that kind of are educated enough to realize where the program was when Mike McIntyre took over that there's still probably about 75% support in terms of him getting a fourth year and probably somewhere around maybe, I don't know, a third of the fans or 25% of the fans that are kind of ready, they think a change needs to be made already. Would you guys agree with that or disagree in terms of... With the breakdown? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, that there are that many people asking for him to get fired. I mean, you know, with our overall team season grade, I guess it's you can throw it out there. I just I, writing, you know, getting all the information I did from that piece from about a month ago. I just don't see the positive behind it. I don't. There's not an obvious name out there that's going to improve over McIntyre in terms of where I think he can lead this team. Another transition class is just brutal. I mean, I kind of hard. You look back at all these NFL teams that change coaches every single year or two years and none of them ever get any better and I feel like college is the exact same way you got to give a guy a time to get his players in there and it, it you can't fire a guy who has nine seniors I just I that's just not reasonable to me so um, I, I, I think he deserves another year I think he probably even deserves two more years obviously you know we'll have to see what happens next year he could change my mind on that it's interesting but, you bring up that point because my next point was going to be that while there might be a little bit of a divided fan base going into the offseason, which could make it a little bit unbearable at times on the message board because that vocal minority could be pretty loud and it's going to be kind of a lot of infighting between CU fans. I kind of disagree with your thought there in terms of maybe two years, Tyler, in the sense that I think it's going to be become very obvious next season whether he's the man to take this job going, this program going forward or not. And it's going to come down to whether they go to a bowl game or not. I've... May your question may having me question this a little bit, Tyler. But I thought that after next season, it's going to be a hundred percent buy-in from the fan base or zero percent buy-in. Yeah, I, I mean, it's never going to be a hundred to zero, but pretty close, I think. Though I next think year. next year, it's either become a complete trend that Mike McIntyre can't coach his team to victories in close games, or it's going to become a oh my god, they got over the hump and now they can win those games, and whatever that answer is, is the answer of whether Mike and McIntyre should be the coach. From, and so I think it's going to be close to that because if you go three consecutive years being in that many conference games and losing them all, it eventually has to come back onto the one constant, which was the coach. The coach was the person who was the most constant in those three years. Um, and if 
and if they his team can't execute that, eventually has to come back to him. Um, so if they don't finish those games next year, then no, it's time to move on. If they do finish those games, then everyone will say, oh, he just needed to get his mentality in there and change the culture and this, this, and this, and he finally did it, and now they're moving. So if you look at the eligibility chart right now, there would be expected to be 46 scholarship upperclassmen on the roster next year. Now that's with attrition, that's obviously not going to be the number it ends up at, but it's still going to be the most scholarship upperclassmen they've had on the roster in a very long time. People could point out John Embry's first year, but that was 28 seniors and not much junior depth behind that. That wasn't a, a perfect situation he came into, obviously. My question, I guess, but They here, also won the most conference games they've won that year. Yeah, as sad as that is. Uh, do you guys think with this big group of scholarship upperclassmen, that is what's going to be the difference in those close games, just simply coming down to experience that they haven't had? Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, it, it, there's a lot to be said about guys who have played football against Pac-12 teams for four years. I mean, that's – and they're just bigger bodies. I mean, people forget the kids coming in that are 19 compared to 22 or 23, fifth-year seniors, is a totally different – person especially when you're not recruiting the blue chip athlete right. that comes in with exactly. that body i mean you had you just you look at some of the guys who have been through this program like kenneth crawley or nelson spruce they did not look like this when they were freshmen yeah you know what i mean they yeah. just didn't especially the linemen um i mean we're playing a lot of younger guys this year who don't have a lot of experience and they're going to get bigger stronger and i think for this this year the first for the first time in a while from it, the talent gap was not very big I mean, I, I we talked about this earlier, but I don't remember being like, wow, this team is so much more talented than we are very often this year. It's it's about mistakes, and it's about making winning plays. And the more you're out there, the more you're going to learn how to do that, in my eyes. So to, to me, it, whether or not it'll work out, we don't know. But having talented people out there who have played in this program for four years is a huge difference, and I think it can be the difference for this team. Agreed. Yep. Well, I promised basketball talk at the top of the show, and we've talked for an hour and a half. I think we should still kind of broach you know, some of these basketball topics real quickly before we sign off here. We talked uh, not too long ago in our preseason show about kind of our expectations. I think I was the most optimistic, but even I wasn't super bullish on this team coming into the season. So they've clearly exceeded all of our expectations uh, a bit so far. How, how drastically do you feel like? When you watch this team, do you go, wow, my, I was way off coming into this season? Or do you go, okay, it's it's a little bit different than I thought? Well, yeah. I mean, going into the season, my expectations, I kept limited, I guess I would say, because I wasn't sure how the chemistry would be. That's the biggest thing, and I've said it a million times, is with basketball, if, if the teams play together and they're willing to play with each other, pass the ball, you know, good things can happen. We passed up a lot of open shots last year. This year we haven't done that. Um, the one frustrating thing for me, I will say, is a lot of people are just straight up blaming a ski booker for this. And it's just like, well, <laughs> last time I checked, George King and Josh Fortune weren't playing basketball on this team last year either. Like, there's more to the puzzle, you know? Like, there's other guys out there who are willing. Those are the guys who are willing to take the shots on this team so far, in my eyes. They're the, they're the ones that are being aggressive, and we had both of those people on the bench last year. And so, Dustin Thomas and Jerron Hopkins clearly didn't like their role on this team right. either, so they're yeah. part of it. Yeah, so I mean, to me, yes, they've, they've definitely exceeded the expectations for sure, but um, with a positive chemistry, I'm not shocked by what we're doing so far at all, no. Um, on an individual level, obviously, George King is a lot better than I was expecting him to be consistently. I mean, we knew he had these flashes, but the, he's not taking bad shots. 
He's really patient attacking the lane, which he hadn't shown before. So that's the big difference for me right now. Uh, but there are guys who are really not playing all that well. I mean, Wesley Gordon played well last yesterday, but that's the first time we've seen that this year. So I think, yes, they've exceeded the expectations, but this team obviously likes playing together, and I think we all knew that if that was to be the case, we could have a pretty good team this year. They've, uh, they've blown my expectations out of the water, and it's really based on the brand of basketball they're playing. They're playing team basketball. They're moving the ball. Uh, they're making open shots. It's literally all the things that I didn't think they were going to be able to do. Um, and it's just, it's extremely refreshing. And you mentioned something that made me think, just think about the straight-up trade of Jerron Hopkins and Dustin Thomas for George King and Josh Fortune. Like The amount of talent and production that you're getting out of those two players compared to the two that left is insane. Mm -hmm. um, so, they, I mean, Josh Fortune is a guy who's just willing, he will take an open shot every single time it's there. And it's uh, it's so... It shouldn't be so amazing to see, but <laughs> yeah, it's like it really is. I don't. He does. It doesn't matter if he missed the last three. He's shooting an open three, and he's probably he's gonna make start making them eventually. And we've seen he's knocked them down into pretty consistent clip. George King the same way. If there's no one on him, he's shooting the ball, and it's crazy how refreshing that is to see. Dom Collier hasn't been great defensively, but he's making open shots. Um, Josh Scott has been the player that we saw at the end of last season. Um, Thomas Akizili has been an unknown that came in and was and has exceeded everyone's expectations except for maybe Tad Boyle. I don't know, but altogether, it's every we kept. On, I always talk about all these ifs and all, and there's too many ifs, and well, all the ifs have been answered in a positive way, uh, and so I'm a little worried to get too high on them too early because they still have to go play in the Pac-12 and they're playing pretty bad teams right now. But even just looking back at that Iowa State and Auburn game, um, you see that this team has. A lot of firepower, and when they're clicking, they can. I think they can really beat anyone. What's funny is I had them five and one at this point because I had them beating Auburn. But so, I, in terms of big picture wise, I can't say vastly. But it's strangely like the Iowa State game, even though it was a loss, it's a top ten program, basically in a road environment. Josh Scott plays his worst game of the season, and yet they're still in that game late. That's that that type of stuff is what's exceeding my expectations. And then obviously individual players. Uh, most of you know that uh, I made the stupid statement that George King, there's no way he would average double digits this year. I think we all agreed on that. So Yeah, I mean, I think we said like 10 was a possibility, but 15. He's I mean, averaging 18. Yeah, he's, yeah I know. He's, <laughs> he's been an absolute Oops. stud. Yeah, whoops. Sorry, Brian. <laughs> yeah. All right. As I said jokingly to Brian on Twitter, I said, broken clock. Twice a day, yeah, <laughs> What's the biggest cause for concern? Is it Dominique Collier's ability as, as a point guard to, to manage this team? No, I don't think so. I, I don't really think he's played that poorly in my eyes. I mean, he's... He, Part of it is other guys have played yeah, so well. Yeah, I mean, he's been better than I was expecting him to be this year. I mean, it's Northern okay. Colorado's coach went out of his way to praise the way that Dom played. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, don't, I really don't think he's been that bad outside, outside of the fact that he can't stay out of foul trouble. So that's obviously huge. Luckily for us, Thomas Akizili is a stud, and he can play those minutes for us. I there think. hasn't been any drop-off when yeah. Thomas comes yeah. in. Yeah, but I, I mean, it's funny coming from me because I was pretty hard on Dom last year. But to me, he's been fine. I mean, I have no problems with how he's playing at all. He's running the offense. He's taking quality shots and making quality shots. Um, yeah, I mean, he could do some things better, and I think he'll have bigger games, but... If he's the worst, if he's the biggest issue on this team right Xavier now, Xavier Tolton maybe then. Yeah, I mean, I just with Ocu, really same thing with Akizili, he's not going to get that many minutes. And honestly, he he does some 
stupid things when the game's out of reach and he's trying to make plays. But, I mean, he's, he's also hit open threes. And, I mean, if he, as, your, as your third point guard, I'm not going to freak out about what Xavier Talton is doing right now. Yeah, and I think it's clear that he is now the yeah. third point mm-hmm. guard. Yeah. So, I think the the biggest issue is probably just the turnovers. Um, yeah. And that, some of that does come back on Dom. But that's not one of those things that's impossible to clean up. It's just kind of convincing the players to value the possession. Um, and I think they'll do that. And I keep thinking they're going to have a cold day shooting the three, but it just hasn't happened yet. So I think, you know, I think there's probably going to be a game somewhere where Josh Scott is getting, you know, deed up pretty well and they don't shoot the three well and then it's going to look ugly. But yeah. it's one of those things It's not going to – It's not not likely to happen a lot with the, with the talent this team has shown from the perimeter. Yeah, I mean, every every team in the country is going to have cold shooting nights. I mean, yeah. even even the best shooting teams in the country. So we can't expect that it's never going to happen. I mean, yeah. this team's not going thirty and one or whatever. I mean, you're going to have some cold cold nights. That's okay though. I just think the turnovers to me even are better than last year though because last year we're passing wide open shots to and turn throwing the ball over. Yeah, to turn the ball over. This year they're turning the ball over because they're moving the ball well. And and um, it seems like a lot of them are on the break or or entering the ball into the post has been a common one, which they'll get better at, I think, over time. But they're making, by and large, the right plays for the most part. And a lot of these turnovers, you know, they're just trying to make highlight plays when they're up by 25. Yeah. So, uh, to me... And they've made some sweet ones. Yeah. They're... <laughs> People are almost getting nitpicky now, which is awesome. Great because thing, great thing. yeah, I mean, last year people had legitimate reasons to be frustrated. This year, you have no legitimate reason to be frustrated with how they've played so far. I admit you that. can kind of be frustrated that they should maybe could be undefeated and ranked right now if Josh Scott has has a good game against Iowa State. I, I guess there's always an if that you know you know what I mean. Yeah, but George, you know. If George King is the George King we thought he was going to be, then it's you know you're yeah. five and one. It just you know it balances out. I admit that I haven't really watched a whole lot of basketball outside of CU this year just because football season just ended. Um, Oregon and Wazoo, the last two unbeaten teams in the Pac-12. CU, Arizona, Utah, Oregon State with one loss. USC, Arizona State, Washington with two losses. And UCLA and Stanford with three losses. Do you guys have any thoughts you want to share on kind of the the rest of the Pac-12 and how they fared early on this season? It's going to be a deep league. Yeah. For sure, I, I don't think there's an elite team. It's kind of which is, reminds me a lot of the football conference this year. To be honest, it's going to be a very good league that probably doesn't have an elite team that's going to make a team. No run. one seed. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would say there's no two seed. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is, I think, a great thing for the Buffs. Oh, it's great for us, especially since we get Arizona at, at home. home. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a team that we, from what I've seen so far, we can beat that team at home. For they sure. can beat every team in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, it, there's. I think Oregon has looked the best to me so far. Um, they are really deep, and they have a lot of talented ball players. Man, they they got elite guys at every position. Uh, in my eyes, offensively and defensively, they've been very impressive so far. Um, Arizona's guard play does not impress me yet. Um, their freshmen are not as good as last year. Um, UCLA has been pretty brutal so far. But they have played a tough schedule, and they looked pretty brutal in the non-conference last year as well. So I'm not going to say that they're overrated. They, they got beat like 100 to 40 by Kentucky or something. Yeah, last yeah. Year. I mean they, they, I mean if they were, I think seven and five in the non-conference as well last year, and ended up being a pretty good team by the end of the year. Um, so we'll see. They they always play a tough schedule, and they seem to 
kind of get their stride down the stretch. USC has been really impressive to me so far. Uh, they, they did lose a couple games in a row, but to pretty solid teams. And people are going to look at Monmouth and say, oh. Monmouth has literally they're, beat everyone. They're legit. <laughs> Monmouth is legit. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there. But I think USC is going to be pretty solid this year, middle of the road team in the Pac-12. I think um, the, the thing that stands out to me is they're going to have – it's, CU is going to be competing for a first-round bye in the Pac-12 tournament late in the season. I think it's pretty yeah, fair to expect that. It's definitely possible right now. Which is so much better than I expected. Yeah, I mean, the, the bottom half of the league has been better than I expected. Washington has been very impressive so far. They were a team that I thought was going to be the worst team in the Pac-12. They don't look like they're going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 yet. All right. Any off-topic stuff you want to get into? No, I already aired my... My grievances about the volleyball team getting jobbed. <laughs> All right. I will say, Ryan, I think you're the first media member that's covered Colorado that's ever had a, a coach stop in the middle of his post-game press conference to, uh, to compliment that person on his attire. So you have that going uh, for you. Hey, you were spending the whole uh, show there trying to think of a compliment since you didn't have one at the beginning. <laughs> 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 I said you you catch football as well. It's yeah, yeah. the t-shirts right. that I don't know yeah. about. They're slip it's not the right material, you know. <laughs> Whoops. That'll what never about you, Tyler? Again. What you moved into your new house about six months ago? How, how's that? Oh no, I mean, not it's even? been three, four. No, it's uh it was August twenty first, so a little over two months. Still right. waiting on my no, invite. Three months, three Still months. waiting on my invite, by the way. No I mean he's been over there, I guess, but <laughs> the couch is no, yeah, prime no. spot. We, we haven't had we haven't had a house in Denver or anything. You can come over whenever you want. Okay. Well, you you, know, you you said something about a fire pit on a previous show. The fire pit's there. Just the don't bring any there. sketchy it's friends. Been, it's cold up there this time. Yeah, <laughs> Ryan. They weren't my friends. He's yeah. <laughs> He's striking out, man. Is it this probably, I can't hang out probably a story we can't share on the podcast? Probably no, not. You know, no, not probably. We definitely can't. We definitely can't share it on the podcast. But just know that Ryan's not as cool as you think he is. <laughs> what? <laughs> Damn, man. It's messed up. <laughs> Just kidding. He's the man. So, how's, how's life at the Blake Street? Thank you. How's life at the Blake Street Tavern? Uh, the Blake Street Tavern is busy. That's so, good. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, this is the busiest year we've ever had. A lot of football fans in there. Broncos have been good, which helps for sure. I mean, they, they definitely help us on Sundays. Um, yeah, I mean, Notre Dame, they're not going to be in the playoffs, so that hurts us a little. But Michigan State looks pretty good. So we'll see what happens there. That'd be huge for us because kind of a, if you work at Blake Street Tavern, you have to have like seventeen favorite teams. No, I have one, <laughs> but everybody, all the girls have to pretend they like everybody else. I'm the only one that's not. I don't have to wear the alumni shirt of the room I'm working in because Chris knows that I won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well that's it for today's show. Sorry, we if we got a little long winded here. We always tend to do that, but uh, we'll be back with some more shows. We'll talk more recruiting. I'm sure that's something that a lot of fans want to hear about going forward here, as well as we'll probably throw in a mailbag show as well. So thanks again for tuning in. This has been Buff Stampede Radio. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when the mom was saying us to sleep, but now we're stressed out.